Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of November 2010. Now, I always start off this show to get it out the way at the very beginning to tell folks to look into, especially the newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. And when you're there, scroll down, bookmark all the other sites listed because sometimes you'll find sticking when so many folk go into the com site at the same time. So try these alternate sites I've got listed. These are the official sites I have, the only official sites, in fact, and they're listed at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Now, remember, all those sites have volumes for download of talks I've given. Uh, they all have transcripts in English of a lot of the talks, too, for print up. And if you want transcripts in other languages, go into alanwattsentient.sentinel.eu, and you see that listed on the com site as well. And you can take a pick, your pick from a whole bunch of languages and print up the transcripts and pass them to your friends, hopefully. And remember that you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't take on advertisers and live well off of it. That's how hosts make their living. That's it's okay, too. It's all right. But to an extent, you can be kind of compromised as well. So this gives me a freer hand to do what I want to do and say what I want to say. And I don't have to fool you at times by bringing on guests who are really selling something. So you're listening to 15-minute, half-hour, or one-hour ads. So remember, the ads here on this show are paid directly to RBN for the broadcast of the show. It pays for their equipment and their staff and their bills as well, which I'm sure are pretty hefty. So it's up to you to help me with mine. And you can do so by donating or purchasing the books uh, I have for sale at CuttingThroughMatrix.com. And these are different books that go through ancient history to the present. Sometimes it's a bit comical in a sense, but it's written in such a way as to wake you up out of your lethargy because we have been, we've had sciences worked upon us since birth uh, to keep us in the dark and to make us into very linear thinking people. And so much so that they can put out blatant symbols right in front of you and you don't recognize them, but your subconscious or unconscious mind does, as Carl Jung would say. And they can program you even through those techniques as well. We are the walking dead in a sense, which is the ideal population to be controlled, of course, and the world is all about control. It always has been, it seems. So buy the books and so on that I have for sale. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order from the post office. Or you can send cash. Some people send the cash. And some people also use PayPal to donate or to purchase. If you want to purchase through PayPal, send the appropriate donation, followed by an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Now, it's the same across the rest of the world. I always say that Western Union is an option for direct wiring. It's very quick and so on. However, it's quite a fee that they charge on top. I think it's cheaper to use MoneyGram, perhaps, and it's cheaper still to use MoneyGram in a check form, which they can write out to you in Canadian dollars, and you post it to me. It's cheaper, it's cheaper than wiring it across, and it only takes maybe six, seven days to get here by air. And some people, some people just send cash as well from Europe, and that gets through too, so far.
And remember, too, that you can also donate as well. Some people donate. It's always the same people over and over that donate. Thousands use the site. Thousands take the material and run with it, which is good. But uh, the ones that run with it never pay you anything or even think about it. They expect everything to be free, although they will definitely have subscriptions on their own sites. You'll find eventually with information they've gleaned from mine. But that's the way of the world, and that's what you expect in this day and age where everyone's out for themselves. And that's the unfortunate part about the system we're living in today. Uh, those who gave us this system and this psychopathic culture counts on us basically adopting the patterns of those at the top. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. I've talked over the years about the techniques of going around national sovereignty and where the sources came from and why it is that way, who's behind it, the big organizations, the foundations, with the the, the top one really, which was definitely the Royal Institute of International Affairs and its American branch, the Council on Foreign Relations, and they also have a, a branch for all the politicians now in the European Union. It's the European uh, International Affairs Group, uh, but it's basically still uh, beholding to London and Chatham House that's their headquarters. So that's the ones who came up with the idea of a global society. They backed the early communists. In fact, they thought it was a fast way of bringing the socialist system for controlling the public, not to help the public, but, but to control them in a scientific fashion, the way they thought it was, should be proper. But remember, it was set up initially by international bankers. Now, these are bankers who lend to governments. I don't know what they lend them. It's maybe probably a check or something, and you just print out the money for them and give them real goods back in return. I think that's how it works. But anyway, they wanted a socialist system to control the public, an authoritarian-type system, and they hired lots of guys on, of course, all the big... In fact, they made a lot of people's names for them through their other organizations, which they also controlled other specialized areas. Uh, they set up the United Nations, of course. Uh, they also set up UNESCO and all these to make, bring in a, a global culture for the children to be brainwashed in uh, and to teach them early sex, prepubertal sex, in fact, so they wouldn't get married. What's was the point in getting married when you can have sex with anybody you want? And um, all that kind of stuff all came to the one institution. So remember, too, that communism is the fastest way to bring uh, a standard system across a good part of the world. Look what the Soviets did. They standardized every country very quickly, and when they left, they left basically the same system in place as that of Britain. What a coincidence. And that's the same way as America, too, is to go through the Council on Foreign Relations. I used to be astonished years ago when I traveled across Europe and different countries beyond Europe, to find the same laws being passed in countries at the same time. Uh, and yet none, of the, none of the countries that mentioned the laws coming in ever referred to the fact that they were signing international agreements, not necessarily treaties, but agreements. Sometimes they would say treaties, but generally it was agreements. Or the, and the lead always leave you to think it was your own government that had come up with the idea, and it was just your country that was affected. But that's what I noticed. Everyone was putting in the same laws at the same time. 
which obviously meant there was a, an organization behind all of this where people went to meet and, and met and came back to their own countries with the agenda and put it into being. And that put me on eventually to the United Nations and the kind of terminology they use, such as soft power, hard power, and that kind of thing, these little terms used. Now, and they also call actors too. They have actors as well. So power really is, it's all about power. World government has to use power. And it's to, to not just to retain power or alter, it's to, it's to really take all power under its wing. That's the objective. And to do that, they use the actors. Now the actors are basically, uh, most of the NGO groups. That's what they refer to as actors, or even TV personalities or, or movie actors as, as actors upon the world stage. And they also use them in the theatre of war, because that's where actors generally play, in a theatre. So, of course, the theatre of war is set up in advance, and that's why they use uh, their, their geopolitics. They set up the countries in a row, like dominoes, and they can literally go through a century um, taking down countries, building up other countries, and standardizing them as they go along until they have their global plan. And that's what it was all set up to do, a standardized global system where an elite, a global elite, would feel nice and safe at last, where they have a massive um, controlled society, a world society, all standardized uh, and very predictable when you're standardized. If you're all different cultures behaving in different ways, yeah, it's a lot more work, but when you standardize them, they're far more predictable. The same security systems can be used worldwide. The same indoctrination in the schools can be used worldwide, and they feel very safe at the top then. So for all the communists out there, I hate to disappoint you, but that was always the goal for those who set up uh, Lenin and Stalin, uh, really were the ones who created the world revolutionary movements in the 1800s these same big boys at the top, these big bankers. It takes money and organization and a lot of time to prepare for revolutions. Uh, a rebellion is not a revolution. A rebellion is, is really uh, basically retaliation to get something back, a way that was before, or to get some kind of rights back. That's where a rebellion is. A revolution takes many years to plan, and the big word is organize, organization. So anyway... Today, we're right down, we're well on the way now, we are global, and as I say, the Council on Foreign Relations, through its, its own magazine, Foreign Affairs, has always told you where they're going next, and you can go into their websites too, and uh, and look at all the different things they're working on, and coming the, the coming food crisis, because they're going to match, manufacture a food crisis uh, to speed up the process of integration of the world, and into the new system where you'll, you'll get rations if you're good and you behave yourself and, and you don't cause any ruffles in their system. But soft power is also interesting because that's mainly the technique that went around national sovereignty. And they, they also are into using various so-called health-rated policies as well under the guise of, of, it's like terrorism. Terrorism can be used to literally take every right away from you until you've got literally um, iPods or, or and little cameras staring at your toilet bowl at you. That's how far they can go with. They can, they can chip you if they want to, which eventually they will, of course. All under the guise of uh, to, to keep you safe. To keep you safe and keep everybody else safe. 
They use the same technique when they're trying to get you to take the flu injections. You could endanger others if you don't take that shot, you see, which is a lie because if, if all the others had taken the shot, they should be technically resistant even if you were, you were infected, right? So lies are very, uh, are always covered up by their terminology and the way they, they, it's a very interesting way to do it is to do a double think and have you in the reverse position on the defensive rather than using logic and say, wait a minute, you guys have all had the shot, you're protected what you're worrying about me for, right? It's my fault I've got the flu, right? Because I, I chose to. And it's, it's, it's probably you won't get the flu anyway. Although they, they'll get other symptoms off the flu, the ones that took it. So these are the techniques that they use on you. Massive psychology, as Bertrand Russell said, they would use. In fact, they would use Madison Avenue, he said, uh, the experts who, who would motivate your unconscious mind and all the unconscious drives that motivate you to do things. They were using the Bernays techniques as well. Bernays worked on a lot of this stuff for the coming world order, by the way, in collusion with presidents and, and people higher than presidents. Presidents are not the highest, believe you me. But anyway... A lot of Pavlovian techniques are used too, which is social approval and social disapproval. The United Nations uses its soft power to alter behavior. Soft power is where you make people turn against other people. Like the flu shot. Oh, they didn't have their flu shots. They're endangering everyone else. That's soft power. They used that in China to ensure that people would not have second children. And at one time, they would drag off a, a, a woman with a second pregnancy to the abortion clinic by the militia. Now they don't need it. The neighbors will turn, will actually grab them and get angry and turn them in. Oh, you're robbing food from our mouths. You see, that's how the technique is used. Soft power. And they do the same thing with cigarettes, of course. This is the fifth agreement every country has signed through the United Nations World Health Organization, Doctor Who, WHO. And they've turned people against smoking by, by Pavlovian techniques. If someone lights up a cigarette 20 yards from a child that's had their brainwashing at school, they'll start coughing as though they were blowing it in their face. Pavlovian response. It could be done the same way, but wearing a certain color of clothing, if they want to. Anything, I'm not kidding you. This is basic psychology. But they're also using it in food next, you see, because food, under the guise of obesity, is going to be rationed, and they're getting you used to getting rationed one way or another, the same way as, it, as they stop people smoking cigarettes, along with jacking up the prices, you see. And this article here will go along with it. This is a pure propaganda piece from Panorama. And Panorama's an interesting organization because they used to do radio shows in Britain, so they started off in television. And I think the first one they did was actually about eugenics way back in the 50s. But uh, you'll never find that one. You'll find everything else I've done, but not that one. Can't get it. Because, of course, they were way ahead in those days of the kind of world they're going to bring in. So they've always been liars and spinners. So here's a good spin here. It says, in the same way that as taxing cigarettes help to reduce smoking and related illnesses, it's strange how more folk have cancer today who've never smoked in their lives. But anyway, that doesn't matter. Facts don't count. Could putting up the price of junk food, as Denmark has done, cut obesity rates in the U.K.? Then, he goes into the, then they go into the usual spiel of storytelling. Uh, the first thing that struck me on the taxi journey to Copenhagen was how slim everyone looked. Right? So I really had trouble spotting, spotting anyone fat. And the second thing that became obvious the moment I stepped out of the cab was 
I was almost run over by a cyclist was that the Danes are clearly no strangers to exercise. See, what it, what it does, it, it makes you awfully skinny, but you're awfully weak too, and your eyesight gets poor, and you almost crash into folk on your bike. I guess that's what you're saying here. Maybe that's what you're saying. I don't know. So why on earth has your government become the first in the world to introduce a tax on junk food? So they should taxes on food start, you see. The answer is depressingly simple. Uh, they may be among the slimmest in Europe, but the Danes do not want to end up as fat as the British. So they're using this, well, look at them. Look at Britain's bad. Britain's bad because they've had more psychological and chemical and food war on them than anyone else. That's why they're in the mess they're in. And I'll go into this in more detail, a lot more detail, when I come back from this break. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and just showing you some of the techniques that are used. If you listen carefully, uh, as I read this article here on creating social approval, social disapproval, and they always back it with what they said they would use eventually at the end, bringing in this world system, and that's the power of the purse. The power of the purse through taxation, fines and levies and all the rest of it. And it says here, uh, at this rate, by 2050, obesity will be costing the state $32 billion a year. That's in Britain he's talking about there. And they go on to blame various things like sugar, you see, and so on. And, and that's the cause of it. What's well, not the cause of it, you see? And it isn't just the junk food either. It's all the, the, the crap they put in it, including all the healthy stuff they said was good for you, like all the oils and that. You see, your body can't really um, store this stuff properly. It can store it, but it can't take it off. It doesn't know how to disassemble it. That's basically the problem. Once the fat's stuck on you, you just can't get it off. And they've always known this too, but they won't tell you about it. They won't tell you about it. Because eventually, as I say, they don't want you eating protein at all. If you want to understand how you can control a whole population for thousands of years, study India. Study India and how the system of the Brahmins was imposed upon the people and how obedient in the public the over there have been for thousands of years. Very obedient and they, they don't question things too deeply as to their station in life, the different caste systems. And that's what they want to bring in. You see, the same kind of system as that. And again, you go into, into the writings of Malthus, where he said he had it all worked out, how many calories to give and what kind of foodstuffs to give the slaves in the plantations that Britain ruled and other countries too, because he was international. And um, just enough to keep them going, but not too bright, so they would be mentally bright and they wouldn't be fit enough at the end of the day's work to run off and run away. And that's just how it was worked out. This is an old, old technique. The Egyptians used it too. They tried all kinds of diets with them. Nothing new under the sun, they say. Anyway, get back to this public relations propaganda article here. It says, We've been relying on uh, and emphasizing self-responsibility for the last 50 years, and it doesn't work. Charlotte Kira Kimby, one of the Danish Heart Foundation, told me. Now, the Danish Heart Foundation, like all these foundations, is a front, folks, for the big, big foundations that runs the world, that bypass governments, you see. And that's, again, soft power. Back to soft power again, the United Nations. Who, who, who get treaties signed and, and charters signed, 
that has the power of a strange kind of law that's not written in the books. But, it's, but they all accept it as legal. And I'll be going into that in a minute too. It says, we know that sugar and fat are really what cause obesity, and it's not really just that. It's more, it's more than just that, to increase. So to target taxes, to target taxes makes sense and should have an impact on health. Punish the folk. Let's make it unaffordable. And that won't stop there, of course, because then you're going to find that all kinds of meats and proteins are going to get extra taxes levied on them, regardless down the road. I don't care what they start with, that will be their goal. And eventually you'll have to eat nuts and seeds and, and GMO stuff, and you'll be all happy little skinny people, but not too bright. Really happy, though, regardless of your conditions of your workplace, if you have any work at all. Anyway, it says, think of all your favorite indulgences, chocolate, ice creams, crisps, sweets, coca, uh, cola, and imagine they all cost you significantly more than at present. That's what happened in Denmark. If it hits you in the pockets, would it make you change your behavior? Well, you see, understand, you can make that work with anything in that case, can't you? Anything at all. Anything at all. Because you're all getting taught to come into this world of austerity. Nothing to do with the so-called bank collapses that it planned a long time ago. Because one day you're going to get rations for tokens instead of money. And you'll use those tokens for your food. And I'm not kidding either. Because I've read all their stuff from years ago to the present. And these guys are liars every step of the way as to their, their actual agenda. So, or would you simply be furious about the food policing, the food police telling you what to eat? And then he goes on about more rubbish and how healthy, yada, yada, they are in, this, in the most highly taxed nation in Europe, which is Denmark. I was in Denmark years ago and I was surprised they were openly teaching Marxism in the school. And they're way ahead with the destruction of the family unit too. And, and, and really very young promiscuity. Uh, so that was all part of the agenda. They're way ahead in that. Every country in Europe was used as a social experiment, unbeknownst to the public themselves, who all took part in it without knowing that they were getting guided. Every country was getting used in different ways. In Holland, they, they'd reversed the roles of the male and female, and they paid the guys to stay home, look after the children, and, and paid the women to go to work, and stuff like that. And then brought them dope that the government dispensed in bars. I watched all this stuff and I thought, my goodness, every little place is a, a, a socialist experiment. And eventually they'll glean what they, what, take, what, they, what they want from each place and bring it together into one. But anyway, it says, but they do not resent the government adding further to their grocery bills. Far from it. They're all happy to be taxed, silly. Uh, and then they, go, then they give you these crazy, I don't know if they're real people or not, uh, and uh, how what wonderful it is to be taxed, silly, so that you don't eat too much, you see. Ab reaction was maybe better. They should try that. You could give yourself a little electric shock each time you open your mouth to eat something, and that, that will probably teach you even faster. At least you have some cash at the end of it for something else. This way you have no money at all. But anyway, it's a complete PR piece, public relations propaganda piece. And, um, and that's how you, you don't get news anymore. You get public relations. And it's interesting here too. Uh, it says here, uh, Professor Koppelman says this, you know, uh, of the Royal College of Phys- Physicians argues that the UK could learn a lesson uh, from the lean Danes. He believes that there's a clear parallel with the taxation of cigarettes. He says nudges are very important. Let's touch on nudges when I come back from this break. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix and talking about nudges and so on. You know, because nudges are what behaviorists use. Your computer does it too. They use guys to put nudges in the computer telling you what to do next and so on. And uh, But they also do it, give you a lot of nudges and a lot of articles you read without you even knowing it. And uh, these nudges are very important to program people. And that's what's about programming people into different behaviors that you don't know you're, you're getting even programmed. You're living in a world of propaganda and behaviorism and psychology all being used against you from the minute you're born, in fact. And it goes all through school, too, to make sure to turn out the proper kind of citizen for the global society. And and they also differentiate it, too. It's adjusted for male and female, so they get the kind of male they want and the kind of female they want, too. So And even the, the age groups they want, how you'll be at a certain age group and what you will like and what you won't like and what you'll believe and what you won't believe. It's that, that perfected and that precise. But anyway, it says here, uh, that um, the Health Secretary of Britain, Andrew Langsley, is usually is due to publish a white paper on public health for England shortly. He'll lay out his strategy for tackling obesity, but it seems the idea of a junk food tax is already off the table. It says nudges are very important. They know that because the government uses it in all their ads as well. It says tax is not a nudge, tax is a shove, he said. If you start down the road of taxation, quite often you get quite a lot of pushback against that. The, pu- the public don't think it's our job to be trying to tell people what to do, really. <laughs> They've been doing it for hundreds of years, right? <laughs> it's also how you, all your behavior is, too. It's all authorized by government, whichever behavior and culture they give you for your particular era. Anyway, uh, that's a, a complete propaganda piece from Panorama. As they, as they kick off this session, they've already kicked off euthanasia and stuff. I've talked about them in the past, openly with professors and all the rest of it. Getting you used to that idea is to acclimatize you to the, what's coming. That's really what these articles are really for, They're kind of predictive programming. And most people won't look any further into it until they see the next thing announced and a few more talk shows will bring it out and so on and so on until it's quite natural to them. And they'll say, well, what can you do? And you go back and chew your GMO lettuce. Anyway... It's interesting, too, as I say, how the, the Council on Foreign Relations uses all these the soft power, uh, and they use hard power as well, because many of the members of the Council on Foreign Relations dash Royal Institute for International Affairs have their members in your high bureaucracies and in government positions as well that you think you elect them to. Carl Quigley said that every president and prime minister uh, since about 1890 were members of this particular group, even before they were, when they were called a different name, of course. They keep changing their name down through the centuries. But um, there's an article here, it's quite good, I'll put up a link for this article. It's called Transatlantic Policy Network, another group that goes around using soft power, uh, getting agreements written up and charters written up and agreed that countries all sign and eventually become some kind of law. You know, they're unelected groups. But, interesting, this one here shows you all the congressional members of the Republicans and the the congressionals, the the, uh, Democrats, who are members of this international globalist group. And they're actually working towards globalism. That's their policy. So why are you bothering to elect people you think are standing up for your country when these guys have no concept of having a country anymore? They're all for utter integrated globalism. But anyway, I'll put this link up. 
and it gives you all their names. The senators, Robert Bennett, uh, Republican Utah, is a member of it, and uh, uh, Thad Cochran, the Republican Mississippi, is a member for globalism and internationalism. That's the end of sovereignty, folks, for anybody who doesn't understand this. And then Gary Ackerman, Democrat, New York. They work with the European teams as well for global integration. Shelley Berkeley, uh, Democrat, Nevada. Marsha Blackburn, Republican, Tennessee. John Bonner, uh, Republican, Ohio. Uh, Rick Butcher, Democrat, Virginia. Kevin Brady, Republican for Texas. Uh, Henry Brown, Republican, South Carolina. Eric Cantor, Republican, Virginia. Uh, it's like everybody, it's like everybody, I think it's everybody's on here actually. I'll put up the list and you can look up for yourself. And you can look for the European ones as well. You'll see the, 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 the national government members, uh, who are politicians in government at this present time are also members of this international group for internationalism and the eradication of countries, by the way. Quite interesting, eh? So these, these groups have been on the go for a long time, and that's what I meant. They, go, they would do a, an end run around national sovereignty. That's what the Council on Foreign Relations said long, many years ago, many, many years ago. And they would form all these groups by doing, and they would have a form of legitimacy and a form of legality which they would use to bring all this into being. Interesting, eh? And just to to read this other article here on soft law that was talking about soft law. You see, this is remember we get this public-private partnership deals. Well, that's how things have been working. They used to call it fascism at one time. And remember that all systems, including communists, are essentially fascist in structure. You see, because there's no such thing as equality in any of them whatsoever. There's always an elite at the top, living like kings, and all you peasants down below. But here's something it says, it's soft law taking over the perils and benefits of non-traditional legislation. This is not a warning, by the way. This is, this is for uh, the Progress Foundation, which is part of this soft law organization that push and coordinate other organizations towards this globalist, integrated, non, in fact, end of sovereignty, end of nation system, which is the agenda. There's no other agenda on the books, by the way. It says, what was government, uh, what was government has become governance. That's what they call governance. Now you see it through all the papers that you, see, that you look at from the United Nations. And it says, where once elected politicians pass legislation and sign treaties to determine our futures, today unelected experts make rules through soft law. Rules, you see. Interesting, isn't it? To prove this proposition, let me turn to the financial crisis and the way in which it hit Europe. Now, is going to justify uh, that all these uh, non-governmental organizations and, and this, the private banks that bailed the people out, they got us out of the trouble. The, the ones who robbed us got us out of the trouble, just to preface this. So first in the action to provide liquidity was the European Central Bank, headed by its president, Jean-Claude Trichet. Although he'd been named policy maker of the year on more than one occasion, he's never been a minister, that means a politician's, uh, never a politician's, never elected. But this gifted anarch and his central bank colleagues in their previous uh, provision of liquidity, quantitative easing, uh, that's inflation, bank guaranteeing and money printing, determined uh, government response to the crisis. So they're trying to say that governments responded by these guys who were the experts who caused the problem, and, and these, these experts that caused the problem got us out of the problem by telling the government to tax us all and, and borrow money from them, I guess, uh, so that they could pay themselves off from the money they stole. Anyway, back to the story. Once authorities had their breath back, they looked for solutions in the longer term. 
They turned to Jacques de Larosière, another super-talented French banker and public servant, a former head of the International Monetary Fund, which is a private organization attached to the United Nations, right? Soft power. And EBRD. Again, he has never uh, sought election to a parliament and was appointed, they're always appointed by decision of the European Commission, which is non-democratic, as we well know. Yet his report was and is the foundation of Europe's response to the crisis. As Europe and de la Rosier turn to, to align their measures with those of the United States, the spotlight moves to the G20. Now, the G20, as you know, is made up of what you think are your elected representatives, right? For globalists and integration and the end of national sovereignty and the end of nations, in fact, altogether as brain regions. Anyway, so another soft law creation. So the G20, remember, you don't vote it in. It's a club of prime ministers and presidents. It's a club, folks. Because he says it right here, another soft law creation. It didn't exist 10 years ago when the G7 and G8 were the main focus of global financial discussion. It is self-appointed. Is that democratic? Has no charter. Oh, yes, they do. They take their orders from above. And no treaty determines its rules or its membership. Utter lies because they're all members of the CFR, Royal of International Affairs. And they set its rules for its memberships. You can't join it unless you're asked to join Anyway, yet it is the lead body for the raft of measures which are being taken around the world to emerge from the financial crisis. The European Commission will show you a table against which it checks off its compliance with the G20 norms. So the G20, which is unelected in a private organization, is telling the European Commission and the Union, this parliament, what to do. Hmm, Interesting, eh? Then it says... Swing back again to the proximate cause of the financial crisis. How do we decide whether banks are or are not properly capitalized? Again, by soft law. The Basel Accords must assume there's a responsibility. Whether Basel 1, 2, or 3, the capital adequacy rules are decided informally, gentlemen's agreements, and their status is as recommendations. The Basel Committee, which now includes the G20 countries, therefore recommends capital adequacy measures without a treaty or constitutional framework. Only later are the recommendations turned into national or European laws. So private organizations run by the bankers determine what laws in your nation are put into effect. When the crisis moves from banks to the market to the risk of sovereign default, the foundation instrument turned out to be another piece of this time European soft law, the Stability and Growth Pact of the European Union. It has never been fully constitutionalized and comprises a council resolution, two council regulations and a code of conduct. This uneasy mixture makes it, in academic terms, a hybrid, a hybrid between soft law and hard law, or more bluntly, a stability pact ridden with holes. And that's from a book called Habermas, 2010, that obviously works for them. It says, when Europe acted to bail out Greece, it did not do so under treaty or legislative powers. Rather, it created a special and creditor agreement between 15 Eurozone member states at short notice on 8th of May of that fateful weekend. The soft nature of the transaction is demonstrated by the fact that Slovakia's parliament on the 18th of August refused by 69 votes to 2 to ratify the agreement. These were the crisis measures, but in the daily running of the European Union also, much policy in labor markets, the environment and elsewhere takes place through the open method of coordination. 
The OMC is a series of soft law techniques of discussion, cooperation, benchmarking and peer review. The procedures are unmentioned even in the Lisbon Treaty. Well, who needs the legal stuff, eh? My purpose in this lecture is not to suggest that hard law is good and soft law bad. It is rather to sketch the extent of soft law, to look at its causes and rationale, to assess its merits and problems, and then to draw some conclusions for future public policy arising from it. So they're making public policy. And then this is, how can we define soft law for our, our purposes? Remember, this is part of this organization that, that creates this kind of soft law, a coordinating uh, think tank, obviously. Once upon a time, it may have been thought of it as a series of gentlemen's agreements, but both the term and language has a rather dated feel. So they don't like the dated feel of it. See? This is Linda Sendin has provided the definition which I found more, most persuasive. Persuasion is more important than fact. The soft law is formed by rules of conduct that are laid down on instruments which have not been attributed a legally binding force as such but nevertheless may have certain indirect legal effects that are carried out and may produce practical effects. So soft law, non-governmental organizations, foundations, and so on, and think tanks are making policies for your supposed elected leaders. The bankers are making your laws, but they have been for an awful long time, eh? Or as Eureka Morth has noted, in systems of government, the law is hard, whereas it is soft in systems of governance. That's the term they're using in the United Nations. The crucial difference between these two types of legal norms is that soft law lacks the possibility of legal sanctions. The fact that soft law lacks legal sanctions does not mean that it does not attempt to impose sanctions by a range of techniques. They are enforceable or sanctionable at various different levels by means, not of law, but of some form of perceived international responsibility. That's what they called agreements, folks. They, they write up agreements, and your prime ministers, your presidents, sign them. That's what they signed with the World Trade Organization, and the World Health Organization, I should say, to jack up the, spike, the price of smokes to stop folks smoking. An agreement. And they, they up the ante every year by making it harder and harder and harder. Agreements, you see. Because, you see, your presidents and prime ministers don't ask the public what they want. No, private organizations tell them what to sign. I've told you this for years. These systems lack legal rights or obligations. They also lack procedural safeguards, and they often lack transparency. And these are serious weaknesses. In the context of the the Overseas Economic Cooperation Development Initiative on so-called harmful tax practices... That's another strange quasi-governmental United Nations organization that takes your tax money, supposedly you help the poor in other countries through big corporations. Alison Christians has said that the category of soft law seems to offer a third way between the potentially uncomfortable position of describing the OECD guidance as law and therefore implying states must comply with it and the potentially unrealistic position of describing it as not law at all, despite evidence that countries do in fact comply with it often against their self-interest because they tax the blazes out of you to give to these foreign corporations, which are often inter- they're international anyway. They have no basis in their country. They take your tax money. That's how they set up China, by taking your tax money through these agreements, by the way, through the World Trade Organization. You don't vote in the World Trade Organization. Do your homework and find out who set that up. Then it says the Stability and Growth Pact provides a good example. We immediately see its soft law origins. A deficit above 3% is not excessive. If the excessive over 3% is only exceptional and temporary. 
and the government deficit ratio remains close to the reference value. As has been noted, there has been considerable maneuverability within those limits. So they're basically going through uh, the, the, the usual bureaucraties speech, of course, to try to rationalize how, how they can get more effective agreements made with more appearance of legality and legitimacy. And this is what the, the paper is all about. But it goes on and on and on, and it would take forever to read this thing. But it would be really interesting for it to go right through it for you. You should do so and go through all the links that come from it as well. And you'll find out, you see, for an awful, fact, the whole of your life, you haven't been run by your governments at all. You really, really haven't. This public-private partnership idea, this new kind of strange fascist organization, without the name being used of fascism, which of course meant it was corporations and politicians in bed together running the, the rest of the public. That's exactly what it is. But so was communism. You had the big GM, Ford, and all these big boys over in the, the Soviet system from the beginning. Lots of plants like that. And, and through, again, through non-governmental organizations and soft power, the U.S. and Britain and other countries financed the Soviet Union from the very, very beginning, right through its entire existence, even fed them too, after they killed off most of the farmers. Same with China. And you think, why do you bother voting? I've asked people that my whole life. Why do you bother voting? When these guys come out with the usual nonsense, they drape themselves in your country's flag, they play the, the tunes that you're used to respond to, like Pavlov's dog, and then they tell you, oh, by the way, we're working internationally to destroy your country and make your region back with more after this. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix with a few minutes to go. And remember, I will put these links up for you at the end of the show at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you can look them up for yourselves and do your homework. I'm sure lots of folk will run with it too and it'll be all over the place, hopefully, in a little while. Of course, I'll never mention where they heard it. Anyway, there's Tom from Wisconsin on the phone. So you there, Tom? Yeah, Alan, I'm here. Can you hear me clearly? Yeah, I can, yep. That's excellent. Um, I'd like to thank you for the work that you do, and I just want to express my dismay. At, 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 at seemingly there's this sort of, um, I guess, blast of um, energy coming from the people that are upset about being groped by the TSA agents and being radiated by, in the body scanners. Um, but what we're not seeing is uh, um, cross-the-board refusal to comply with Agents who aren't even, you know, cert, you know, certifiable peace officers mm-hmm. even have the authority to command people around and, you know, ask, you know, tell them we're gonna we're gonna grow up you and feel you up, you know, for safety. Yeah. And I, I, until that happens, I, n- nothing is gonna change, and they're I just know. gonna, you know, all those that will just do it, they'll just say, okay, well, I guess you will do it, and but you know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, I just I'm kind of that, you know, we we have to change. If we're going to see change in the world, and I see a lot of people talking change, but not actually... Well, talking isn't going to do a darn thing. You know that, too. I think we all know that. 
the talking isn't going to do our darn thing. I just want to throw it out on the table because yeah. I just don't think, you know, we stand enough that just talking about this isn't going to accomplish anything. It doesn't work. No, it, it takes people to, to collectively say, no, that's it, and, and get the message across, and then you take what comes from there. That, that, that's the bottom line. Uh, these guys at the top have made it quite clear that there's only one agenda and they're going, to, they're going to take no opposition concerning it. If there is opposition, they'll put it fake opposition. However, um, they've also said from their main think tank, the Club of Rome, that this new world order is an authoritarian system. Democracy is out the window. It's gone. So that's what they're telling us. So what do we tell them in response to that? Yeah. Well, yeah. have you seen the cover of the the most recent USA Today uh, paper, which was today actually? Um, no. In there, there was a, a propaganda piece where uh, Janet Napolitano asked for us to have patience during the holiday season as they grope and radiate and body scan everybody yeah. that flies. And I just was like, you know, they show the opposition in the article, but they put the headline and they have Janet Napolitano featured prominently in a picture and it's just mm-hmm. it, it's all a wash of just, you know, it's okay, everything will be okay yeah. and just trying to soothe the, those that are already under mind control so don't worry about it it'll be That's okay right. Yeah, it, again, it's just to pacify you and again further condition you into the, the new norm and, and have you accept it as a new norm and of course they're not stopping the other bringing iris scans in now too uh, and everything you get to check twice at the airport with this thing that you're probably end up blind if you're a frequent trier, uh, flyer and that's your tough luck but anyway I mean there's no end to this as you well know there's no end and, and eventually they're going to darn well chip folk and I, most folk go along with that too uh, there's only there's, there's no opposition to, to this this totalitarian system that's in place right now you can't talk with them because they mean business they've shown the public they mean business it's their way or no way and when this has happened in history, down through history, the public have had to respond in, in the usual two ways, the two options they got left. But thanks for calling. I know exactly what you're saying. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God. All your gods go with you. <laughs>